0: Welcome to Moving the Needle, casual conversations about ways, big and small, to impact student learning. Brought to you by the Faculty Center for Teaching and Learning at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. I'm Erin Hager, let's move the needle. Hi everyone, welcome back to Moving the Needle. As we record this today, we are on the cusp of a new academic year. College students across the country my own daughter included, are loading up and moving to campus. You can almost smell the pencils getting sharpened and hear the printers chugging out revised syllabi and new assignments. To me, this time of year always feels more energizing and invigorating than January 1st. And as we all gear up for the new semester, it's a great time to reflect and ask ourselves what we are doing in our courses to make them as accessible as possible to all of our students. Our guest today is Deborah Levy the Director of Educational Support and Disability Services at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. Deborah has worked in higher education for over 20 years. Here at UNB, she developed the ESDS office, which provides students with disabilities three primary services, academic accommodations, educational programming, and advocacy. She is a strong supporter of universal design for learning principles, which offer accessible education for all students. Her background includes a master's in social work, a master's in adult learning and leadership, and a coaching certification from Columbia University. Ms. Levy is also a past president of the Association of Higher Education and Disability for the state of Maryland. Deborah, welcome. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Well, let's just dive right in and start by clarifying a few of these terms. Can you tell us what you mean when you say disability and accommodation? What do these terms mean for students and faculty, and how does this process of requesting
1: accommodations typically work? Sure. So when we talk about disability, it's really coming from the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act from 1990, as well as 2008, um, they define it as a condition that substantially limits one or more life activity. So this may include sensory and motor conditions, but also it includes uh, an individual's concentration, information processing, and attention. So uh, in fact, in the CDC says there's 26% of students in the U.S. with a disability. Now in higher education, 12% of all students in post baccalaureate programs are living with a disability. So that means uh, 12 out of 100 students on campus are living with a disability and it does impact their education. So the goal of academic accommodations is to provide equity to those with disabilities. Accommodations ideally reduces or removes barriers for students with disabilities so that they have the same educational opportunities as others. Uh, Accommodations may be in the form of, for example, notes or specific formatting, extra time on assignments or exams, uh, the ability to leave the classroom even to take care of themselves, medicine or, or taking a break. Um, Just to give a little bit more information, in order for students to receive these accommodations, they work with our office and we do have a formal process where students have to self-disclose their needs using an online form, providing us only with the medical and psychological documentation that would substantiate their condition and most importantly, ESDS meets with every single student individually so that we can collectively best determine a reasonable accommodation for each student. So then the process would be that the faculty member is
0: notified that there is this, this particular student uh, has these particular
1: accommodations. Is that, is that the next step in that process? That is correct. Once It is completed, the student receives a formal accommodation letter for that semester, and it's up to them to send it to the instructor to help with the coordinations of those accommodations. So thinking about this from the faculty member's
0: point of view, so let's say I'm a faculty member and I've just received this letter from the student acknowledging that these accommodations are necessary. What kind of questions do faculty members typically have um, at this point? And... And how would you respond? Uh,
1: so I think they are a little uh, nervous to make sure that they are uh, doing what they're supposed to do. Um, the majority of the accommodations may not be related to the instructor. Um, that could include note-taking or location of minimal distraction for exams. The majority of the students utilize our testing center. Um, you hear things uh, you see things on the letter, including assistive technologies, such as a screen reader. That is provided to the student by our office. The elements regarding the student could be more in the classroom, uh, uh, particular seating preferences. Um, the ability to record. There may be students who are in need of transcribers. And so there might be other individuals in the rooms, whether they're transcribers or uh, ASL interpreters, that's American Sign Language interpreters. Um, So those are things that the instructors may be aware of. More specifically, uh, accommodations around extensions on assignments really involve faculty member as well Uh, we invite faculty members and students to work with this office as well as their liaisons for their school to determine that if they need that Um, but it is somewhat arbitrary for this office to say, student, you get three more days in a class that I'm not in, right? So we really need the instructor's buy-in to determine what is a reasonable extension for specific assignments so that it continues with the flow and the trajectory of the course. Mm-hmm. So it really sounds like a three-way
0: conversation sometimes between your office, the student, and the faculty member.
1: Absolutely. So this office at UMB, we work with over 400 students currently uh, with disabilities. Um, a lot of things we do in-house, but when it comes to the classroom, you're always welcome to reach out to us and have us a part of that conversation. Um, and students are equally uh, offered the, the same uh, resources. Yeah. And I'll just mention too for our
0: listeners uh who may not be from UMB that that these kinds of support services exist at every institution of higher ed. Um it's a very important part of the culture and, and uh work of a university.
1: Absolutely. We are not unique. There is an office such as this at every institution. So one of the interesting things, Deborah, about your
0: world and my world, right? Your world of disability support and my world of instructional design is that we hear a term uh thrown around quite a bit called universal design for learning. Could we, could you talk a bit about that, what it means and and how it might change the way we think about accommodations? Good question.
1: You can think of universal design as a way to provide multiple modes of access to learning content for the student. It is an idea that you as the instructor provide on the front end of a course, so that you can offer all the information and all the modalities ahead of time in a variety of ways so that the student can take control of their own learning and self-determine how to navigate the course best for them. I like to use the analogy of a car um, and that the student is in the driver's seat needing to get to a destination, okay? Well, universal design means that you equip as an instructor, you equip the car with all that they might need in order to get there. So, one student may prefer utilizing a map. You have a map there. Others prefer Google navigation. Others prefer Waze navigation. Uh, others might utilize it on a cell phone. Some students may need to take breaks. Um, that's an example of an accommodation. Some students really need to see the highlighted route while others like to hear the verbal cues uh, and some like both. So again, we are building a course so that multiple modes can be uh, ignited when needed by students. Yeah, and the
0: destination is the same for all students. Um, and, and what I love about this is that it really takes uh, it really changes our perspective, not just to students who need formal accommodations and who've gone through that formal process, but really recognizing that every learner has a different, um, different preferred ways of receiving information, processing information, the, the frequency, repetition, all those kinds of things can vary student to student. And what it sounds like you're describing is a, is a proactive way to meet all of those needs, regardless of, of a formal ADA uh, accommodation
1: situation. Absolutely. You can make the assumption that we're trying to remove the work. Well, ideally we're not going to remove the work, but we're proactively trying to build it on the front end so that the, the instructor and this office can reduce the need of accommodations is actually uh, built for everybody. Another thing to think about is that there's only like I mentioned before, 12% of students with a diagnostic a statement of a disability. That doesn't mean to say that there's not others in your classroom that could utilize these supports and these tools. So this enables uh, the opportunity to capture those students as well and give them various tools, um, such as live closed captioning, the recordings of the lecture, uh, PowerPoint slides ahead of time, PowerPoint slides with your lecture notes uh, connected, Um, just making it uh, no guessing game for students to uh, capture and receive their content uh, so that they can focus their attention on processing and synthesizing and analyzing the material. Yeah. We
0: talk a lot about that when we're designing online courses, that we, we don't want students to spend any mental energy hunting for things um, figuring out the system of a course, figuring out where to click, we want all of that to feel intuitive and almost disappear so that the content is really what is front and center and occupying the bulk of the student's energy um, and workload. And it, it sounds like that's exactly what you're describing as well. Yes. Um, your your description of the car and the universal design, it makes me think of... Um, Probably as a result of the ADA, when um, sidewalks started becoming um, more accessible for people in wheelchairs with the, you know, the dipped uh, part of the concrete, well, suddenly people using baby strollers were benefiting from that as well. Um, And people who temporarily had crutches or, you know, something. So something that might have been designed for a particular need really does benefit a much wider group of people and and give some choices and options for everybody.
1: Correct. So we are taking uh, our world from the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, and we have a new world, which is the World Wide Web, and we are trying to make those access points more available to all as well uh, in forms of closed captions, recordings, uh, making sure that your design is accessible to all uh, aspects, like that.
0: So, what are what are some practical, uh, concrete tips faculty can be thinking about as they're designing either in person or web supported or or online courses? Um, what can they adopt that would make learning more accessible for all students? So,
1: tools may include the utilization and the opportunity to record. So. Enabling your students to have access to your lecture recordings, uh, having automated closed captions, providing those PowerPoints and lecture notes ahead of time. Of course, having the links available to the readings on Blackboard. And I would say just be mindful of those readings, making sure that they're electronically based, not necessarily scans of Xerox copies because that impacts students' abilities to use assistive technologies. Here at UMB, we utilize Blackboard as our learning management system. We also had recently purchased a tool called Blackboard Ally, uh, which enables a host of accessibility features for students. So if you are a UMB faculty member, I certainly encourage you to implement the utilization of Blackboard Ally within your classes. Yeah, it's
0: very easy, and, and your um, instructional support team in your school uh, can can help you set that up. That's great. Well, just switching gears a little bit, I wonder if we could talk about etiquette. I wonder if some faculty might have questions about the etiquette of interacting with students who have disabilities. Maybe they're they're worried about doing or saying something insensitive. Are there some best practices around this that you
1: could share with us? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh- First and foremost, um, especially for the faculty members here at UNB, um, the majority of your students are graduate students. They want to be here. They made the investment in all the ways to be here. So it is important to consider them as your equal partners in the process of getting them uh, through the course and the content. Um, So they're adult learners. They're here on their own uh, accord. Um, So I think it starts with that collaborative relationship uh, and asking the student, thank you so much for this accommodation letter. More specifically, how can I assist you? What can I do within my course so that you can uh, learn best? That question alone will really uh, allow a student to feel comfortable with you feel as though you are an ally in support of their needs. Um, And I think that would be a great first step. Other etiquette things that we can consider include always being mindful of their privacy. So please don't talk about uh, a student's needs and their accommodations in front of other students. Remember to BCC, blind copy, email students who do have uh, disabilities if it Is related to an exam or a location to take their exam because they don't necessarily know each other. So it's important to blind copy emails. Um, And last but not least, stay in the role of educator, uh, even if you have a background in medicine or or counseling or psychology. So you unfortunately are not the you are not the student's provider. Um, So you have to kind of stay in your lane as educator. Um, So please don't ask them specifics about their condition, but more questions around the coordination uh, and the implementation of the accommodations and the course content.
0: Yeah. It sounds like really keeping the focus on that, on the learner and the learning as opposed to the condition itself.
1: Absolutely. And I know that faculty members have the best um, thoughts in mind when they reach out and want to connect with students. But I think it's really important, particularly with the relationship of an educator and a student, that they don't blend that uh, based on their own background in their field. So when we were talking about these... um steps faculty can
0: take to make learning more accessible for all the students, not in response necessarily to a particular accommodation, but things for everybody. How would you respond to a faculty who worries that, you know, for example, providing the lecture notes ahead of time, or providing multiple modes of access to information? Um, how would you respond if they say that that perhaps that's spoon feeding uh, a particular, a particular class of students or, you know, is suddenly dumbing
1: down the the experience of learning in, in their course? Sure. So, wow, that verbiage is certainly not something I hear often, thankfully, because I do think that is hurtful and troubling. Um, but what I will say is that the student is in your course deserves to be there. Every one of us have a body, brain, and situation that is unique from another's. In other words, our mode and our methodology to synthesize, process, and analyze information is unique and individualized. I believe all of us are naturally on a spectrum of ability, skills, and talents. So if you give them access to the content in all these various ways, that does not mean, going back to the car analogy, that they're not going to get there to the destination. But you are providing them the tools so that they can uh, take care of their own learning and um, manipulate uh, the content in ways that are understanding and digestible for them yeah, I think that's so important because
0: again, when we talked about uh, you know, this idea of trying to make the technology disappear of really trying to make the the effort to absorb the material equal for everybody, but the process of learning it, the process of of, as you said, analyzing, synthesizing, applying that information in new situations, that's really where we want the focus to be. So, I guess, you know, from our point of view as instructional designers and in online courses, we we want that effort uh, to be put forth in the actual acquisition of the knowledge as opposed to the finding it, the getting it, the figuring out the technology side of things. And, and once you remove those barriers or provide different kinds of access points, then all of those goalposts become about the content itself, not the figuring out how
1: to get there. Right. We don't want students to feel lost uh, at any point. If there is an hour lecture and you have student A and student B, student A might complete the lecture with you and able to go right into the assignment or go right into the reading. But student B might not fully have completed their processing of the lecture and they may need to go back to the recording or they need to Go back to specific areas of the content and take a deeper dive. These are examples of um, the uniqueness of our classroom, right? So as the instructor, you can be helpful by providing everything on the front end so that they can utilize their time and energy to figure out how to learn best. And I will say that if you, in fact, do this, you'll probably find less students coming to you feeling really anxious and overwhelmed and stressed because you have already given them everything they need. And they have uh, seven days a week and a whole semester to really um, take on the modalities and the process step by step, uh, utilizing a time frame that's best for them.
0: What else would you like us to know, Deborah, about the work you do, the students you serve, and the potential of universal design?
1: So, um, just a little history lesson, at least in our office. Uh, Before the pandemic, we were serving uh, around 200 students at the university. Post pandemic, I don't know if we're in post-pandemic, but now in 2022, we are serving upwards of 400 plus students. Um, I think these numbers are going to increase as we continue. Um, Just in the experience of the pandemic period, mental health conditions have uh, skyrocketed um, as issues. I just don't think that's going to go away today or tomorrow. So to answer your question, I think if we start to focus on Uh, proactively impacting students' needs with their learning, utilizing universal design, that enables this office and the instructor to then focus on things that you can't otherwise provide. So the sign language interpreting or extra time on exams or talking to a student during office hours. Um, It really is a proactive approach to all of our work.
0: Wow. Those numbers are really Startling, um you know, you hear that quite a bit, but to, but to put it in the context of the just the concrete number of students you've served, that's almost a that's a fifty percent um, increase just just since the pandemic. We are so grateful for the work that you do for our students here on this campus and for all of your colleagues across the country who who are doing this work on behalf of of all students really um and just making sure that our Higher education system uh, is the best it can be for all students. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. And i um, just so glad that we could have this conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Erin. Thank you for joining us today on Moving the Needle. Visit us at umaryland.edu slash fctl to hear additional episodes, leave us feedback, or suggest future topics. We'd love to hear from you.